Hello and welcome to Sonnetcast, William Shakespeare's sonnets recited, revealed and relived. I am Sebastian Michael and this is Sonnet 10. For shame deny that thou bearst love to any who for thyself art so unprovident. Grant, if thou wilt, thou art beloved of many, but that thou none lovest is most evident, for thou art so possessed with murderous hate, that gainst thyself thou stick'st not to conspire, seeking that beauteous roof to ruinate, which to repair should be thy chief desire. O oh, change thy thought, that I may change my mind. Shall hate be fairer lodged than gentle love? Be, as thy presence is, gracious and kind, or to thyself at least kind-hearted prove. Make thee another self for love of me, that beauty still may live in thine, or thee. The spectacular sonnet ten boldly goes where no sonnet in this series so far has gone before and radically changes the tone and the dynamic between the poet and the young man. What, though, does it actually mean? For shame deny that thou bearst love to any who for thyself art so unprovident. Shame on you if you claim that you bear love to anybody when you yourself are so improvident on your own behalf. Although for shame is a standard exclamation, the word shame here also directly links this sonnet to the last line of the previous sonnet, and while the connection between the two sonnets otherwise isn't quite strong enough to make them appear as a couple, it nevertheless is telling that Shakespeare here picks up on the murderous shame he somewhat ambiguously and quite strongly, as a choice of words, accused the young man of in Sonnet 9. Deny, meanwhile, has almost the opposite meaning of what we would today use the word for, as it conveys more a sense of protest or claim, as in for shame protest that you actually love anyone, unless, of course, we read any as nobody, so the line means for shame deny the accusation that you do not bear love to anybody, which is, of course, set up in the previous sonnet too. No love toward others in that bosom sits, that on himself such murderous shame commits. Either way, the poet ups the stakes again by holding on to the idea of love introduced only in the last sonnet and telling the young man that he clearly doesn't love anybody much as suggested just then. Grant, if thou wilt, thou art beloved of many, but that thou none lovest is most evident. And here he spells it out. Granted, you are loved by many, but it is totally obvious that you yourself love no one. For thou art so possessed with murderous hate, because you are so possessed with murderous hate, the murderous obviously now also echoes the murderous shame with which Sonnet 9 closes, 
that gainst thyself thou stick'st not to conspire, that you don't stop at conspiring against yourself, seeking that beauteous roof to ruinate, which to repair should be thy chief desire. But you go beyond damaging yourself and actively seek to ruin that beautiful house which to keep up should be your greatest concern. The roof here stands for house in the sense of a family name and estate, as in the house of Windsor or the house of Usher. The young man, upon whose shoulders the responsibility rests to maintain his lineage, should make keeping this metaphorical house in good repair, meaning alive and well, his greatest ambition and wish, and as we have seen and understood throughout this early part of the sequence, that entails producing an heir who can continue the line. O oh, change thy thought, that I may change my mind. O oh, change your way of thinking about marriage, having children, your responsibility, so that I may change my mind about you, specifically with regard to whether you love anyone or not. And this is the first time we hear the poet refer to himself, and that, as we shall see, and for whatever reason this happens, changes the whole dynamic dramatically. Shall hate be fairer lodged than gentle love, Shall hate, which I believe to detect in your attitude and actions, be at home in a more beautiful person than gentle love? The fact that the fair youth is beautiful is well established by now, and the rhetorical question is asking him whether he can really allow for hate to live in such a beautiful person as he is, which by necessity means that hate is then more beautifully housed than love, since wherever love lives, its dwelling, love's dwelling, meaning the person where love resides, cannot be more beautiful than the young man is, as he is clearly the most beautiful of them all. Be as thy presence is, gracious and kind. Be in your actions, thoughts, demeanour, just as you look and come across face to face, namely, gracious and kind, or to thyself at least kind-hearted prove, or if you can't find it in yourself to be kind and gracious to others or to someone else, then at least prove kind to yourself. Make thee another self for love of me, that beauty still may live in thine or thee. And a direct contradiction paired with a bold request. Make a child for the love of me, so that your beauty may continue to live both in your child, thine, and in yourself. It is a contradiction because just a moment ago I said, just be kind-hearted to yourself. And here I say, make thee another self for love of me. And it is a bold, a bold request, because, I say, make thee another self for love of me. And we will come to this in just a moment, but let's take things in order. 
because striking about this sonnet at first glance are three things. Number one, William Shakespeare directly references the previous sonnet, number nine, by picking up on the murderous shame of which he accuses or for which at any rate he admonishes the young man there on the one hand, and by continuing his elaboration on the there newly introduced theme of love on the other. And so although sonnets 9 and 10 can't strictly be viewed as a pair or a unit, they do very clearly follow on from each other. And Shakespeare seems to rather be upping the ante here by piling on strong, so as not to say hyperbolic language, that thou none lovest is most evident is surely something of an exaggeration, as is possessed with murderous hate and even ruinate sounds just a tad over the top. Number two, William Shakespeare enters the frame. We wondered, somewhat adventurously, one might argue, in Sonnet 6, whether self-willed might be a pun on Will's name, but there really is no compelling or conclusive evidence of that there. Here, though, we can be in no doubt the poet is introducing the first person singular, which means he is either referring directly to himself as the composer of this poem, or he assumes the mantle of the person on whose behalf he is writing. This latter is a possibility, but it doesn't seem particularly strong. Surely, if the poet has been asked to write these poems by somebody else, then one of two things must apply. Either the young man is already familiar with this person, his mother for instance, and has shown little regard for their wishes, or he doesn't know who this person is in which case the only sensible thing for the poet to do would be to name or at the very least obliquely refer to them rather than, without explanation, stepping into their position as the speaker and making everything far more interesting that way. Three, and most thrillingly though, I, the poet, William Shakespeare, here not only put myself in the poem, asking the young man to change his thoughts so I may change my mind about him, but I then go several steps further by suggesting he do so for love of me. All these three in combination, but particularly, of course, the third and last point, make for a radical change in tone. Not long ago, we observed that the poet sounded effectively uninvolved. We even, a short while ago, suggested he might possibly be getting a little bored with his task. But here now, he really spices things up by putting himself in the mix and doing so in a direct vector towards the young man. And there is one more potentially telling and therefore tantalising detail. Be as thy presence is, gracious and kind. You may remember we talked before about how some of the things the poet says about the young man sound fairly generic, so much so that one could entirely imagine Shakespeare simply having been told about the young man and possibly having seen a picture of him or occasionally spotted him, perhaps at the theatre. But here now, I, the poet, 
make a specific claim, not just as to how the young man looks, but also how he is gracious and kind. And I relate this to his presence. And in order for me to be able to make such a claim credibly, I must either have experienced the young man's presence or, for good enough reason, feel as if I had. And on top of that, I must have some reason why I believe the young man would do anything for love of me. You cannot ask somebody who has no reason at all to care about or to have any interest in you to do something for love of you. But here Shakespeare puts it out there on paper directly in front of the young man. Do this for love of me. And even if we allow for the possibility that Shakespeare here puts himself into the first person singular to speak on behalf of the person who has commissioned him to do so, all of this is hypothetical, of course. Even then, it is still telling that he uses the first person singular, do it for love of me. And so, the poet no longer stands outside, he is inside the poem. The poet no longer observes the young man from a distance, he has a connection to the young man. He speaks to him directly, either to mean this to be a direct communication to him, or he sneaks himself into the picture almost by stealth, but very, very obviously so. And so, something has shifted. The tone most certainly has. The language is stronger, directer, bolder, and way more personal than it has been. And we now have a direct connection between the poet and the young man in the words themselves. And this is, after all, our approach, to listen to the words and find out what they themselves tell us. And... Most fortuitously, fairly soon, they will tell us a good deal more. And so I hope you will join me again here on Sonnetcast as we recite, reveal and relive the sonnets of William Shakespeare. Mm -hmm.